Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Wandering Bear Sports, the number one sports podcast in the world. Today's episode is brought to you by the very best caffeine supplement on the market. Used by elite athletes all over the world, caffeine chewing gum is without a doubt one of the quickest and tastiest ways to get your caffeine in pre-workout or game. Check them out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. Today's guest is a legendary human being. Currently playing with the Melbourne Rebels, he previously played for the Western Force and Gloucester and is without a doubt one of the form props in Australia. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy this conversation with the legend that is Cameron Orr. Yeah. Hold on. Sorry, mate. Where, where are you no, living? Uh, South Yarra. So I've been in that little uh, little Richmond bubble for a while, but it's um, it's nice. It's like it's weird living in a building with people. You don't you like there's so many people around you, but you never see anyone. Yeah, so it's probably probably a few murderers and shit in here. But <laughs> mate, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, mate, we're good. I'm going to introduce you like a gentleman, if that's okay. Yeah, it doesn't work for me, but I like it. <laughs> Well, I'm not one either, so um, okay, we're live, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Today's very special guest is the best loose head prop in Australia, and also has the biggest chest in professional rugby, Cameron, or how are you, buddy? I'm well, I'm well, thank you for having me on, Chubby, I appreciate no worries, it. Mate. We were just talking before I press record, you've done your hammy, what, uh, what happened? Yeah, just uh, no good in training, getting over a ball. Probably not my job. You should leave it yeah. to the back rowers. And then, yeah, unfortunately, just got twisted the wrong way. And fortunately, not surgery or anything. But looks like it'll be a couple of weeks on the sideline, which is no good. But I'll definitely definitely be back for the um, for a couple of games and all the um, New Zealand stuff, which is at least a bit of a positive. So ex- explain to... Uh, so how's it working this year? So you're doing the Australian thing again, and then... It goes into like Australian New Zealand competition. Yeah, so I think they're like they're two separate comms. So the first one will be like a home and away. Um, interesting but to just, see how that goes. But just the Aussies. Yeah, just Aussies. So oh, we've got we've got round one off. We got to buy, but then um, yeah, we play home and away wherever we go. The ones we're kind of a bit interested to see what will happen is um, with Western Force and that because I think they might have to um, they might have to get out of WA if. If restrictions don't ease. So they're going to have to do what you guys did last year, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had to do it anyway last year. I mean, you, we kind of forget like that. They were probably the first ones to do it. Um, and they, they probably had it a bit harder because they're in the Honey Valley and they, they weren't really close and they were quite strict um, with their restrictions. So they were, they were stuck in just literally a bubble and weren't allowed to do much at all. So, so, so how did it, it's not, not too bad. But How did it work last year? So, like I wasn't really paying too much. I watched all the games, but like what you guys had to go through. So um, Melbourne shuts down. What happened then for you guys? It was a strange one. We kind of played that last game. Um, I think it was the Lions. We had a really good game. And then we were playing the Summers on the Friday. Um, coming in that Monday morning, everyone was in training. And then we got a call Monday night saying, be in Tuesday morning, bright and early. Don't need training kits. So we're all thinking that what's the go here? Like, we'll probably have to spend a couple of days at home. It wasn't too bad in Melbourne at the time. Um, and then progressively overnight, things got worse and worse. And then Tuesday, we 
we kind of said, look, there's no training, get your stuff packed. We're going to Canberra for a couple of weeks. So it was and literally like that. It was yeah. literally like that. Yeah. And they were just saying, okay, well, we've got two weeks in Canberra and then hopefully it'll all get better. Um, ended up being, I think, about 12, 13 weeks on the road for us. Um, and then we shifted on to Terrigal for, for most of it, which was which was quite good. It was it was could, unbelievable setup. Could wives and girlfriends go, or was that was that a later thing? Yeah, they now they sorted. So not initially to Canberra, but a few like guys with kids and stuff. Their wives came up and and brought the kids and everything like that. But then for Terrigal, I'd say probably fifty percent of the squad of those guys with partners definitely had them there and stuff. And look, after it was actually quite good. The the club got like after the games, get the girlfriends, the wives in, all that stuff. So, so it was sort of, um, it's a home away from home. But um, yeah. look, Canberra wasn't great. It was cold. I mean, yeah, yeah. imagine what Canberra's like in, in COVID, let alone uh, in the in the midst yeah. of their busy period. There's no one there. Um, so that, that was a bit strange. But then Terrigal was awesome. Like we, we had a little bit more freedom and stuff. Like still had to do all that COVID safe stuff. But yeah, there was a few opportunities for a couple of coldies every now and again, which was which was awesome and kind was of keeping people grounded. Was there any restrictions on you? Like, so, so did you guys just have to stay in like the terrible bubble? So, like, just families? Yeah. Could you go out so, for coffees or do any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, coffees were fine. Like takeaway and all that stuff was was pretty good. Um, no one was allowed to go into Sydney and stuff, and half the team has family in Sydney, which made it hard, but. It was weird because they, they were like the restrictions. They were allowed to come up to Terrigal and spend time with us anyway. We just weren't allowed to travel into Sydney. So, so um, for, for games, yeah. how did it work? So you would go, so just say you were playing in Brisbane, you'd go from Terrigal to Sydney, fly to Brisbane, and then fly back all on the same day. All on the same day. That was honestly one of the hardest things. Like they, they did their best, but we were setting off for a 7.40 game at well, 10 a.m., so even earlier, yeah. 9 a.m., we were on a bus going to Sydney Airport, get up to Brisbane, and they actually they sorted us out. So they got us beds in at um, Suncorp Stadium. Yeah. So we had, like, all inflatable beds so we could have a sleep for about an hour and a half. But then by the time you're up, you know, there's nothing really you can do. You still feel lethargic and stuff. And then back on back on the plane after, and then all the way to Sydney, and then drive up to Terrigal after. So genuinely, it was about, what, an 18-, 19-hour day. Um Wow. Pretty full on. But, yeah. you know, you, you may do. Um, yeah, well, it'd be pretty hard to have a sleep before you're playing a super rugby game, I'd imagine. Oh, terrible. I mean, you want to relax and stuff. and But there's that anxiety. Like yeah. yeah. Do you get Definitely. do you get that anxiety? 100%. So my, like, before a game, it's, it's that two, three-hour kind of timing where before the game you're just purely thinking about it. And by getting on a bus at 10 a.m., you, you automatically trigger that you're like, okay, well, I'm on my way to a game now. Yeah. So you, you're trying to fight off the urges. So it was actually like what a few of the S&Cs and the coaching staff, they tried to get us to wear like casual clothes a few times just so it doesn't feel like we're getting in the, in the motion of actually going to a game and stuff. Um, and it was the same for Sydney. Like it was a two and a half hour bus ride on a Friday afternoon with all the traffic going into Sydney. So it was horrible. Um, but then by the time you're there, you know, that's when you have to switch on. Yeah. Yeah. So could, could yeah. you have a sneaky beer on the plane or, or on the drive back or are they pretty uh, like recovery, recovery? I know daddy Dave's not a big, he's not a big Yeah, guy. I mean, he's, I think he's sort of becoming a bit progressive. He's very Is Melbourne, he? very Melbourne, <laughs> very progressive. Um, but yeah, look, it, it got to the point where like there had to be balance within it all. Cause there's a lot of boys time away from home. On top of that as well, with a little pay cuts and things like that, and just 
all these little pieces put together are starting, or they thought would start to cause a bit of a stir. And we were actually quite lucky we, we held it together. But, you know, they, they, they actually they gave us a lot of freedom within it as well. So we were, after, after a game, they'd have some beers in the change room and we sort of knew when to, as a group, we knew when to sort of have our, have our moments, go for it. And then other times, yeah, pull back. We, we have to take it quite seriously. And with both um, those Brisbane games, um, we had one, which was the semi-final, and after that, it was the end of it. So we were all kind of just a bit of a relief, you know, t- time to actually get back with families and stuff. But the first one, we, we took it quite seriously. We're like, okay, well, you know, we're here. We've all bought in. We'll actually um, hold off it for a little bit, which was good. How, how, did, you, how did you view 2020? Because, like, watching you, you fucking kicked ass last year. Like, uh, that's, the best I've ever, that's the best I've ever seen you play. Like, how did you, how did you feel about it? I guess my approach to the year, like I definitely set some goals from the start. Um, that was the key. Uh, but, you know, I, I took the opportunity and in a wider squad spot. And, you know, there's a bit of a history with guys there who've done that as well and done really well. Same with Kibo. He, um, he, he, he sort of did it the year before and played every game. So, look, there was, there was an opportunity there. And I thought, you know, why not go this? And, and the first part of it was just get, getting a Super Rugby debut. I mean, I was only... 24, which, you know, it's not old, but it's not young either for a lot of the guys who are debuting these days. And the other loose head props like Angus Bell, who's 20 years old, debuting and on playing international rugby at the end of the year. So it's definitely there's there's a, there's a chance and the opportunity there. So the first focus was that. And then kind of as the year went on, it was just picking up and, and adding more on the field. Like first it was kind of just hold on and, and be a part of the team and, and just do anything you can to be a part of the 23 but then you get sick of being on the bench. You get you get sick of, you know, 10, 15 minutes since training your ass off all week. So after we got to that, it was just like, you know, I've got to buy in a bit more. What can I actually do? And that kind of gave me a bit more confidence to take what I, you know, I'd probably do in training and then actually do it on the field. Whereas before it was do it all in training and then just do a small part of it on the field and, yeah. and just kind of get through. Um, but then, yeah, it started to develop a bit more confidence and a bit more, I guess, leadership in myself and professionalism i mean before it definitely you know enjoy you know beer or two here or there and even <laughs> even a couple you know when you're young you know, a couple of weeknights and it just wasn't working so yeah. taking that a bit more seriously definitely helped how, how old are you now uh 25 26 in a couple months so nearly there, yeah quarter life so, crisis. so you, you say it's not old but it's not young but you, you've actually had quite a bit of experience talk us through so you, you played for West Harbour in Sydney, then you went to Gloucester, was it? Yeah. Tell how yeah. did that how did that come about? So it was kind of out of twenties. Um, it was good. It's where scrum still wasn't you know the, the biggest part of the game, but then as you shift in to you know men's rugby, it is the cornerstone of a props life. So. Uh, finding out the hard way through like uh, a pre-season with the Tars that just wasn't up to scratch and, 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 and getting that rude awakening, but definitely needed it. It was like, okay, well, you've got to go, if you're going to go down this path of professional rugby and, and choose it as a career, then you've, you've got to buy into it. So it was sort of um, a coming of age, go and move out of home, go overseas, fight for myself. Um, so I was lucky enough through my agent, Tiki Korevi, a great man. He's um, a great man. He had a connection with um, Laurie Fisher and just said, look, there's a loose head over there who's who's injured, just can't keep on the field. 
Um, they're sort of looking to shift him on a little bit. So there's, there's a chance. And it wasn't wasn't a big money contract like all the sort of European ones. It was, you know, get over there, you, you play for it, you play for it, and there's an opportunity there. Um, and then, yeah, look, luckily he played over the two years. I played, I think, 20, 24, um, first 10 games, which is pretty big. Only nine uh, premiership games, which... You know, at the time you think, oh, this is this is amazing. But you look back and you kind of think, well, could I have done more? Could have I done this? But you know, I'm I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. I um, you know, got to scrum against like some of the best props in the world, and even in like uh, some like warm up games, midweek games, they called A League. Um, I was going against like Adam Jones. Um, really? Training with yeah, so we will get to play him. Um, you know, it was guys like Ben Tapawai playing in those games, coming back from injury, and it was huge. If you're not playing in the first team, which is full of internationals, then you're at yeah. least you know, getting huge opportunities against guys who are coming back as elite standards. So you know, I was lucky enough to go against that. And it was just, a, you know, there was one special moment. We are playing in, um, I think it was or oh, Treviso or something like that. And I looked at the team list and everyone on the bench had an international cap against their name, except for me. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm, this, what, what a special group to be a part of and, and, and to, be, you know, uh, to be able to actually play with. Um, so yeah, one, one really really good memory and stuff, but a huge who, um, part in. Who else was there. The, who who was there when you were playing? Were, were there any international front row guys there? Yeah, so there was a few. There was a tight head, um, Paul Doran Jones, who played a couple of caps for England. Uh, Richard Hibbard, the hooker. Oh yeah. Uh, John Afoa, he was wow. there at the time. Who else did we have? There was a. Oh, there's just you know a great bunch. Matu Matu was the hooker yeah. who came in. Chiba Hansen came in it after that. Um, you know, a couple of the back rowers are all internationals. You know, so there's everyone you look around, um, there's, there's such big experience there. And we're lucky enough, the scrum coach was Trevor Woodman, who you know, won, a, won a World Cup, yep. uh, a Lion as well. And it's funny, like, you, know, you work with some coaches who you know probably don't like you on a personal level or you don't get along on that thing, but you get so much out of them still. Um, and probably... You know, learnt butted heads all the time, but learnt so much off of someone. So, like, really, really grateful. Who, um, what was John Arfoa like scrumming against at training every week? He's he's just he's the ultimate professional, and then he knows when to draw the line and between you know off the field stuff. And when he's there, he'll just switch it on. But he his skill level was just five times above anyone else there, and in, in that type five, he was he was unbelievable. Um. He, you know, he, he probably did it all at, at, at such a young age that he was still living in it as that kind of mentality of him being young and quite good and not having to be a leader by speaking. So a lot of the, a lot of what he learned was just watching and how he prepared himself. And uh, he, he, was, he was fantastic and he's really good for a lot of the younger guys coming through as well. And he got, uh, I think he got man of the match for Bristol in their last game at 37 or 38 years of age. Can you you imagine that, mate? Can you imagine being a a 38-year-old tighthead who's played as many games as he has and still kicking ass? That's amazing. I reckon if he moved back to New Zealand, he'd still still be in the running for, you know, an all-black spot. He he could have been for the last 10, 15 years. Like, he is, yeah, just such an ultimate professional. He's... Well, he's only done, you know, 20 years of professional rugby. At tight head prop. At tight head prop as well. <laughs> and he's running around with the ball, which is not, which is not good. He's embarrassing everyone else. Um, so, so from Gloucester, so 
I can imagine that that would have had a big in, uh, influence on on your progression in terms of like the more technical side of playing in the in the front row. Where'd you go from there? You came back to Sydney for a bit, or was it straight to the force? Yeah, so it was like it kind of came to the point where I wanted I wanted to stay around with Gossett, and the there was a little like contract extension, but it, it compared to where I was, I was second choice in the team at the time. It kind of got to the point where you know I was, I was playing some good footy and stringing some games together, and I wanted to stay on. It was looking good, but then also it was versus I want to be at home. I want to spend time with my family. My yeah. uh, my late grandma was still around then as well, so it was like okay, I want to spend some time, but she's not very well, um, so it, it would make sense. And it got to the point where the offer wasn't you know what what I, I felt was you know up, up to scratch at the time. So then saw this opportunity at the force. And my brother was looking to get back to uh, Australia too. And then we kind of looked at it together and, you know, both, it was, you know, a little bit improvement. It was almost like a, a full super rugby contract at the time. So we're thinking this is it. And we kind of got sold on the fact that, you know, this is going to be the competition. Super rugby's dying. Um, yeah. World Series rugby, global rapid rugby is, is the way forward. So we thought, oh, okay, well, this is a big opportunity. Um, so we both jumped at that and, uh, signed on for that and it was only probably a week after that that Gloucester came back and said oh no well, let's do a three year contract let's do this <laughs> you know, first team contract you'll be a second choice and I'm like well it's a, it's a little bit late now you know I've, I've committed to this I want to I want to stick to it and then you know it was it, it was it was great I mean it ended up being quite nice I got to be with my brother over in Perth like lots of guys had grown up playing with and against so it was good it was, it was coming home I was much closer to home as well so I could, you know, I mean, it's still a four hour, five hour flight over to Perth and Sydney, but. It's um, in the same body, it was, of, same body of yeah, work. Yeah, exactly right. So it's a bit in between, but it was, it was much closer to home. So now I made that decision and, you know, quite enjoyed it. Did you, uh, when you were talking about coming back, who were you dealing with? Was it the coach? Was it Twiggy? It's, it's so strange. So when all the four stuff was done through my agent and stuff, but when I was sorting my own, uh, kind of stuff over in England. It was all through me, my UK agent at the time. He was you know, kind of just an, in an agency, wasn't really personally involved. So yeah. I was talking to the, the coach and the coach didn't deal with any of the contracts. So then I'd speak directly with the director of rugby at the time, which was David Humphreys. And yeah, he was, they're open, honest, and you know, they're quite clear and they have their roles pretty certain. So you see um, the director of rugby would deal with all the contracts. He wouldn't have to deal with the team list. Uh, that regularly he would he would just focus on that part of it which kind of um, good and bad it gives you know the the freedom and kind of the honesty um, to come from not the coach um, which is you know, it's hard to hear sometimes but it is good um, I, I actually had I had Pat Lamb on um, so you this will come out in a couple of weeks so it's cool to say that but I didn't ask him what is the difference between a head coach and a director of rugby because they don't do yeah. that here. Yeah, I know. It's a bit of a strange system. Like they, I think they've tried to start it here, but it doesn't work that well. But like a head coach is similar to how like a, you know, in a, in a football team, a manager is your DOR. They direct how everything goes in, in a full spectrum from your physios to your, 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 your performance staff through to your players and, and provide a bit of a, you know, a, an itemized team list for them. And then the coach then works from the, underneath it so i think you know director of rugby is probably a hard job when you know most of those people are, are coaches themselves 
Do they do any coaching uh, in, in the teams that you were in? Very specialised. So David Humphreys, he did a little bit of kick, kicking coaching with, um, who was at the time, Billy Burns and Owen Williams and those kind of blokes. Yeah. Um, and, and he did, but not, not on a regular basis. And, and he was, I think, you know, he's one of the best kickers for Ireland that they've ever had. So, yeah, yeah have, having more of an influence and having their impact, I think, is only going to benefit the, the club at the time. And I'm sure there's other deal. I mean, Pat Lamb, as you said, like he's, he's a great player himself. And, you know, I've heard that he does a lot more coaching than he does just yeah. game management. That's um, what, um, from the discussion I had with him, he's very hands-on as well as being the director of rugby. But I didn't, I didn't quite ask him what the role is. Um, what's so is Harrison still playing? Uh, playing subbies, I think this year. Just doesn't. I think he's not interested yeah. anymore. Look, he, uh, that was probably another thing, like adjusting after playing full time at, at the force, and I think he'd been playing professional rugby for about five years around then. Yeah, that was a real hard um, kind of come to terms. Like he he'd done all the things which to prepare himself for the next job and and the next next part of his life. Like he, he had two degrees to his name, you know, he, he'd prepared himself, he was ready to go and it's just kind of still there. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of career path he was worried about. It was actually making that jump into what he wanted to do with those degrees. Yeah. So it probably took six, well, maybe even 12 months for him to really get um, a certainty of, of what he wanted to do. And now like he's, he's working full time. Um, as a consultant in the city and, and doing quite well at that. And now he's sort of getting back to where he was. He's thinking, okay, well now I can get back into rugby and commit to it. He was, he was contemplating playing West Harbour and, 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 and shoot shield and that, but he just thought he couldn't commit fully to the, to the team and stuff and didn't want to take away from them. So how he thought, well, okay, well he can manage it a bit more in subbies. How old is he now? He's 27. So he could he could still play because I saw him play. He was he was doing something with West last year. He was like a development officer or something. Yeah, I think Sammy White has taken over that now. Um, but he was doing a lot of the development programs for the juniors at yep. West, and he was actually still around in like a oh, not not just a social role, but like a mentoring club role. To, yeah, mentoring role. Um, his background leadership and management. Um, is, so he, uh, are he, they the degrees? That's the degree that he sort yeah, of went so towards? He, he did, a, I think, a psychology degree and then he did a, another course on leadership and management after that um, while he was in England. Um, so, yeah, he, he thought, you know, may as well. He wants to be involved with rugby. I think our whole family, like even mum still hangs around West Harbour, um, collecting <laughs> balls on the sideline and all the rest of it. So we, we, we love the club and we love being around rugby. So any anything to still be involved was the key part of it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And sorry, mate, I just jump around as things come to me. No, I love uh, it. <laughs> I, you're one of the few that I did no preparation for because I feel like I know you well enough to, to have yeah. plenty of things to talk about. Um, okay, so you go from the force to the rebels. How did that come about? Uh, it was it was weird. Like we were, we were speaking in the year. Um, it kind of came to terms once. The, the rapid rugby and all that World Series rugby fell through, um, and I was thinking, look, you know, did it, did it actually fall through? It did. There was supposed to be, you know, um, more games, more teams. But they were speaking of a Hawaiian team. They were speaking of a. Uh, I think they ended up having like a Samoan mixed team, but they had a couple Pacifica teams, which would have been awesome. And they were, t- you know, they were speaking about all these great players they were going to have involved. But then you sort of 
saw Super Rugby keep going on the same level and start to grow a little bit more or kind of back to the normal. So once I started to realise that and they told us, oh, well, you know, we're going to be playing against these teams. Okay, well, if we play against those teams, what sort of players are we playing against? And they're like, oh, playing against guys, sort of, you know, club rugby, big level. And I was thinking, not not, not to put it down or anything, but, you know, I, I really wanted to test myself a lot more. Um, yeah. And I thought, you know, I'm never really going to reach my potential unless, you know, I give Super Rugby a crack. Um, and the first sort of instant was like a bit of interest from the Brumbies. Um, and there was opportunity there, but then I thought, and then I saw Flipper and Theo sign on. So it's really, really, really hard to, to say yes to going to that. Um, and and we we're like, okay, we'll work on the Rebels. We'll see. And we thought, okay, there's a first team spot there, but um, that didn't work out. And there was just a wider squad there sort of towards the end of the year. And I thought, look, it's, it's an opportunity. My brother's just moved on from the force. Um, I want to test myself. There is an opportunity there. And then seeing, you know, looking at the team and stuff, I, I really backed myself to, to, to be able to have a crack there and, um, and, you know, play some super rugby with the Rebels. So you went in and as like, you know how they have guys that go in in preseason just for training? Yeah, so I was I wasn't a red shirt, but um, what do they do that? What do they do that? By the way, they sort of stopped it now, which is good. Um, they they had it last year, and I don't know. I, I think it's I personally think it's one of the hardest things to to feel almost segregated as soon as you arrive. Um, you know, you definitely have to earn the right and and stuff to wear the jersey, and and I, and I love the part of that. But to kind of even even look different on the field and, and look different. In training, I, I just don't think that's a you know that's a solid thing for the team and and growing growing a good um, good base. But um, yeah, th- those guys you know from club rugby, you know, there's been some fantastic red shirts in the time. Uh, even uh, in that first preseason, like Seth Bagasi was down there for a bit, and he's played you know 50 odd caps for the yeah. Reds, playing in Japan at the moment. Could have sworn I think he's been in a few um, Wallaby squads and and all the he's, rest of it. He's a beast. He's an absolute beast, um, and he came down and absolutely killed it. Um, but I think he got another opportunity somewhere else. But the standard um, of those guys has just gone up and up and up. And, uh, it, and you know, plenty of guys have signed out of that position and, and gone on to, to play some really good footy. I think uh, it may not have been Matt Phillip, but there was... Yeah, no, I think it was Matt Phillip originally came in right at the start as that and then progressed straight away through and through and obviously played a fair bit with the force, but... Just took an, um Dave always talks about took his opportunity and yeah. you know he's he's killing it now. But yeah, I was just in between sort of like an ETS wider squad contract there. Yeah, not great. Uh, you know, we sort of paycheck to paycheck stuff. But the opportunity and kind of the professionalism of the setup here was was second to none. We, there's a there's an S and C. I've had a performance here, Will Marwick, who's unbelievable and and kind of understands players and individuals and. You look at a textbook; it, that's not going to apply to everyone uh, to the T. So it's you know it gives everyone sort of you know a bit of comfortability in in their own um, ability to perform, and they're not having to step up to unrealistic um, expectations and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Are you a full contract this year? Yeah. So this is yeah full contract and signed on for next year, which is. Which is good. I kind of fell in love with it last year, and it was, you know, I, I personally thought it was a really successful year, and just, you know, a really kind of growth-minded team and, and culture and stuff, and 
Melbourne's a beautiful place too. I love it. So and it, it's um, a fun place to live if you like eating and you don't mind a beer every now and again. And that's why I love it. <laughs> and genuinely, every night you can find a new place and you, you you'll never get old. There's there's so much to it, and I still feel like I've only been in a bubble of sort of new training and that. So there's so much more out there, and uh, it's just just a good place. Really enjoy. It's between Sydney or here for my top two places. I think. Has has everything down there now? Is it uh, like everything's open or have they still got restrictions on you guys so there's still a few like just restrictions with going into like restaurants and pubs is that just for you guys or just for all melbournians in general so i think we've all we all got a directive from rugby australia to sort of be covid safe and and all the rest of that um but for us personally like i think the last week we've all been wearing masks again just for the odd case that popped up not like a lockdown sort of thing but just masks and and being careful, but mostly back to normal. I I came back down at the end of last year during the lockdown, and that was that was horrible. You're allowed out of the house for like an hour a day. Like it was pretty really really strict. No, like only takeaway food, things like that. So quite quite a struggle. And you can't go and see mates. You can't have friends over, and it was I've quite found, tough then. Remember seeing Laurie Weeks on Instagram? I think he was in lockdown for like four months or something. Oh, that they had a terrible. So all the staff, like most of the staff, and even you know about oh, a third of our squad had to stay back. Um, just so, so they stayed and, back and they couldn't they couldn't come and meet you guys. So they were just in total lockdown. Yeah. So there was like Ross had a petty came across, but he had to do fourteen days quarantine in Perth and then fly to Terrigal. Um, there was a couple of other guys. Gus Cottrell had to do fourteen days into Brisbane, but then he moved on to his new contract. So there was yeah, plenty of guys who who got stuck back here, and um, I think. Now, they were allowed to meet up with like a coach or something for an hour a day or something like that. But then the rest of it was spent at home. Um, yeah, you're kidding. And so like being a part of a team and, and for guys, especially when you're injured as well, like I can only think of how much of a struggle that was. Um, like I'm sure they got, got close to each other and looked after each other here, but such a small group of people when there's a large chunk, you know, over there kind of not not free and, and open, you know, interrogable, but you know, still a lot more freedom than they had here in Melbourne. Do the Rebels do much with the mental side of games? The, sorry, the uh, mental side of the individual? We're pretty good. Like they, last year they kind of offered us uh, like a, an outsider sort of contractor, um, sports psychologist, Dave Diggle. Um, and there was about 12 or 13 boys that took up that opportunity. I, I, I went for it as well. And it, it, it cost the boys individually as well. It wasn't put off by the thing, but it was, it was an opportunity again. And it works with a lot of like the goal setting and, and dealing with dealing with injuries, dealing with all that stuff. And it was a really, um, really good thing. And this bloke, um, Dave, he's worked with Alan Alatoa. He worked, worked with Dane Halepetta regularly, Matt Samoa, all those guys. And they found that they actually, you know, they are more consistent because they use, this guy to just talk through set goals, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that, they're very good with that. And then probably that Will Marwick goes back to it. He's he's big on that. And if you ever need to kind of chat and, and talk about performance goals and, and anything to do with that, they're very open to it. Um, it's it's probably the most uh, connected and like a loving club ever been a part of where, you know, if you do have an issue, there's going to be five to 10 people there lining up to help you with it. Um, and then if you're dealing with, with tough stuff, there's, there's people there um, to help you with that as well. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a good um, support network. 
Um, I think I've said this on, on here before, but when I did the NRC in Melbourne in 2015, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, he was the Rupert guy at the club. Lovely guy. He said to me that rugby or professional sport is one of the only jobs where you are judged every single day, every single week, and you're in your mid-20s or, or early 20s or early 30s for some of us, and, and it's very difficult to deal with. So with you, like if you're going through some anxiety in terms of performance or whatever, is it is it more talking it out with someone or do you have any tactics that you use to get yourself into a good frame of mind? Yeah, I guess being honest with yourself is probably the key thing. If, you, if you're going to go and connect and say, oh, I should be starting in the team, I should be doing this, and you don't have the evidence or you don't have the kind of the experience to do so, then I, there's no point in doing it. Um, I, yeah, I, I guess, like, when it comes to training and game time, their coaches are only there to be, you know, to improve you, you know, as a team and individually. So if you can have clear, open conversations with them and, and you know, they can be honest and they can be clear with you, then I think that's, that's the only way you're going to really get better from it. Yeah. Uh, there's been times where I've struggled with my own performances and there's, I, I get my feedback sugar-coated and personally, you know... Just the way you like guys, it. Just the way you like it. Yeah, just the way I like <laughs> it. I mean, I, I just want a bit more honesty um, in it sometimes and yeah. I, I, I can hear that as opposed to, you know, some of the guys who, who can't deal with that as well. Um, and that, that's a big change. Like earlier in my career, I 100% would hate to hear, you know, this was, this was shit, that was bad, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, and then I'd have an excuse for it. Um, but, but now it is about taking it on the chin, looking at where you can improve on the finer details, and then going back with a plan. Yeah. One of the, one of the oldest things I uh, had a real struggle with was at Gloucester when I, I probably thought of myself, I deserve to be starting, I deserve to be this, and, and I didn't. But at the time, that's the way I thought. And I, was, I went and spoke with the sports psychologist there and he said, well, if they're going to give you this feedback and then you, have a, you need to have an answer for it, you need to have a, a, you know, an understanding of what they're saying. And if you don't, the chances are that they're most likely right. And when I started to look at what they're saying and you know, I was making up things that didn't connect, then I realised, you know, okay, well, they're right. I do need to work on this and I do need to... And it was probably a more humbling thing, um, but, but it was... It, you know, I found myself grow a lot more in that period then by just accepting that you know there is plenty to work on. Um, I guess criticism's good, but if if people just criticise you and don't tell you how to fix things, that's probably something I would have struggled with a bit. But if someone's saying, you know, you need to work on your ball running or your tackling, but let's do this, this, and this, and actually have a plan for you, is that is that what you mean? Like you prefer yeah, criticism yeah. like that? I yeah, exactly. Like be. Uh, you know, the word sorry, constructive criticism, but it's just explaining why rather than just saying, this is that, go fix it yourself. Explain to me, be help me along the way. And a lot, I think that's probably what makes Rebels stand out in the coaching staff is they'll identify an area that you need to work on, but then they're, they're going to give you little, little stepping stone things to then improve that. So, you know, one of the, you know, it's pretty in depth, but like one of the things I had a struggle with was diving into tackles. And then we broke it down into really, really small parts with um, Kevin Foote, the D coach. And, you know, we refined it and we'd say, yeah, I should put time and effort into my individual sort of skill. And I found myself getting better and better at that because, you know, he was invested in it. I was now accountable. And then I was invested because he cared about what I was doing. 
That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Who, who's coaching the scrum down there now? So we're a bit in between. Jeff Parling's helping out with that, but um, we're getting a bit of feedback from Petrus Duplicy, the, the Wallaby scrum coach. Okay. So what's getting, he, what's he like? Uh, so we haven't had any... We've actually got a dinner with him next week or this week, but we've just been working with Jeff and it's, it's kind of a weird setup, but we, we did it for the majority of last year where like a bit of a leadership group of the players run a lot of the, the scrum stuff we do. Yeah. Sort of our focus. Um, so there's about four or five of us that did talk of it regularly and do our preview, do our prep, and then kind of work with the coaches then to, to set it up in the game and stuff. So it's, it's very unique at the moment. Um, as we, we had Nick Henderson last year, who was quite good, um, bit of a club stalwart of, of the Rebels, um, but he, he's moved on now. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a new set up having to kind of lead it ourselves. But I think we take a lot of confidence out of it because we're all across because you've got, you've got the ownership of it as well, so yeah. the players having the ownership means that if it stuffs up, it's on you, and yeah, and if it goes well, it's on you as well. Um, hopefully, hopefully more of that. Than, <laughs> yeah. um, have you had any phone calls from Dave Rennie? Nothing. Uh, no, I haven't heard anything. My, it was, it was sort of a weird end to the end of last year. I, um, uh, I don't probably probably looked over my head a little bit and and. Thought there, there, there may have been an opportunity there. Um, I, I thought I thought so too, just quietly. But yeah, look, it, it came out that you know they, they they chose some other guys and things like that, um, and that's that's all part of it. My my goals last year didn't have Wallabies in it for that year. Um, my goals were to to be up there, be consistent, and, and be starting for the Rebels. And I tick those boxes. So I guess when you hit those goals, you you set new ones and. And that, that, that is probably the next thing, you know, I'd love to do. But I, I think there's still so much I've got to work on my game and, and things I've got to do to, to be up to scratch and, you know, go against those all-back front rows, the, the South African front rows, things like that. Um, you know, physically, I, I need to be there. But then mentally, I, I feel I've got that drive and, and mindset now that, you know, that, that's, the, that's the next step for me. And I really want to um, get there. Who's... Um... Sorry, I'm going to get a bit rugby nerdy on you. What's the last preseason been like for you guys? Uh, it's been good. Like it's it's been a lot about kind of developing, not saying no. Uh, oh, sorry, yes, not saying no. Um, building resilience, building more than just fitness, and having that that mindset that you know you can't be controlled by anyone else or any other team. Um, so it's been good. It's it's been a lot of young guys coming through and a lot of the senior players and our Wallabies actually haven't done much of the preseason up until the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, so, so it's been a huge onus on those kind of middle guys who, who are, who are still new to the team, but to, to take another step up themselves and take a lot of the ownership of the training. Um, the coaches are really good in setting things out, but the, those sort of middle guys who, who've been around for, you know, only, only a short time have had to take a lot of leadership in this and, in setting standards and it's I, I think we've probably seen more growth than we normally would just having older blokes there telling telling everyone what to do people just sitting in the middle now now we've got guys who who, who can lead from the from the bottom up yeah that makes sense that makes Huge. sense so i guess normally if you have like all the wallaby guys there you're just going to follow what they're yeah. leading. but now that you're one of those sort of guys mm. that's going to push you guys even more and that can only be better for you guys as a team 
Um, what's yeah. a, what's what's this normal week like of training? What's it look like in terms of Monday to Friday? It's uh, like we, we sort of break our week in half. We do two, two of the same sort of things. On a Monday, we'll try and go really fast, attack focused, um, up-tempo. So you find yourself running a lot more on these days. Um, get a big lower lower leg lift in the morning and then do that in the afternoon with a couple of meetings in between. Tuesday will be traditionally a double day on field where you'll do a unit session in the morning. And for forwards, it's a big day. We look over at the back to just kick into each other. It's, it's a headache. That's all, that's all they other. do, mate. Oh, it's always been like that. And they always seem to be just doing nothing. But we'll be doing scrums, doing malls, contact in the morning, little break in the middle, uppers, and then afternoon session, which is a lot more short, sharp, um, contact-based, a lot of defense stuff. Um, and and it's, it's a big day. Going into a Wednesday off, you, you need that day off to really get it, um, get some time. And then it'll follow suit similar on a Thursday, very fast day, short, shorter, but just uh, fast running all that. And then a Friday, they'll really cook you. So you, you, you're all right by Monday, but you're not feeling good on Sunday. So you got, so you got Saturday, Sunday off? Yeah. So there's been a couple of Saturday sessions mixed into it, which is good. But yeah, in that first block in December, we didn't do any Saturday training, which was actually quite good because with so many new people, we had the opportunity to sort of have some socials, have some opportunity for us to all go out and mix with all these new blokes and, and meet each other on and off the field. Um, so that, that was really good. And But we, you know, I, I look back and I actually don't think we needed a Saturday session. Um, we, we were doing so much during the week and we are getting, getting through a lot of work that we were covering those bases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do they still feed you down there? They do. It's a bit weird at the moment because we're out at Latrobe at the university. Okay, so, so you're not you're not at Amy Park anymore. No, so we're not back there for a couple of weeks and that. But we're out at Latrobe, but they they still sort us out a couple of meals a week and bring it in. I think that's the key. Like any club, oh, there's been a few clubs where I've been at where you know in Gloucester we had a chef and we had a sous chef, and there was three four meals a day like we were looked after. Yeah. <laughs> um. I reckon that's key. Like I've heard stories about teams where guys will just go out and get takeaway. If it's not there, they're just going to go get whatever they want. So no, we're, we're really sorted. We get some good stuff. So boys are always on top of this or food and that or most of it. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you weigh at the moment? I'm about 120. I'm scared for the next few weeks. If I start blowing <laughs> up. But no, yeah, I've, I'll, it's weird. It's, I've always grown up, you know, being able to put on a lot of weight very easily and now it's getting to the stage where it's starting to tip the other way and where I can lose weight um, quite quickly. So the S&Cs have been on top of me about actually maintaining. So it's not, not been a bad problem to have. Jeez, that's nice, mate. I yeah, wish I had that problem. It's, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, unfortunately, it's not a cheeseburger and that everywhere. It's a protein <laughs> shake. But um, on the weekend, if you can make an excuse. What's a, yeah, mate, you got to, there's so many good food places in Melbourne. If you don't treat oh. yourself, you're doing yourself an injustice, I exactly. think. Exactly. Um, no, got, no, you got you got to have the balance, <laughs> mate. Um, I got some random questions for you. Life after sport. Have you done any study, or have you got any thoughts about what you want to do once you hang the boots up in another 10, 15 years' time? That'd be nice. Um, yeah, look, there's a few things. Like I'm studying at the moment. I'm studying a nutrition and exercise degree. Yep. But I, I mean, if I'm completely honest, like I'm still so open to to anything after rugby. I don't have my mind set on one thing. I've, I've definitely got a bit of like a, a focus towards business and I'm wanting to open a business eventually. 
Um, but, you know, I, I committed to a nutrition and exercise degree years and years ago, and I just want to finish it. Okay, you sort of come so far, you want to get it done. Um, and I enjoy it, which is good too. So a combination of both, you know, would, would be nice down the track. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have anything set in stone. Like I, I've just got that kind of ambiguity, which is good and bad. Yeah. Um, so you can just but, kind of chase whatever you're interested in as yeah. you go. Um, have you got any interest yeah. in coaching? Yeah, I, I quite I quite enjoy it. I haven't done anything down here, but when I was back in Sydney for holidays and stuff, I was doing some individual coaching. I really love it. Um, seeing some, you know, ex Trinity guys from school and things like that, and I really enjoy being around it. Professionally, I don't think so. You know, I don't see a path I'd really want to go down. Um, but you know, anything's possible. You know, you never know. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah. Who are uh, who is what what uni are you studying through? Uh, I'm uh, through Open Universities. I'm through Uni of South Australia. So they're one of okay. the only ones to offer uh, fully online for the health degrees and around that. I was originally at um, Sydney University, but it was if you wanted assistance on assignments and things like that, you had to be part of their EAP program. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Had to be playing for Sydney Uni and. I thought I'd rather die than play for Sydney. So, <laughs> yeah, you and me both. You and me both. Um, are you a coffee man? I am very much so. So, you're in probably yeah, the I'm... best place on earth for that, just quietly. Um, oh, where's your favourite place, and what do you drink? Definitely uh, Swan Street Cheesy Monkey, okay. uh, one of the best. And I'm a strong latte man, but I I actually enjoy coffee. So I don't want to have it too strong, so I can have two or three a day. Yeah, more than I'm staring at the ceiling for four hours at night trying to get to bed. But maybe that's um, my problem. Yeah, def- <laughs> yeah <it's> definitely. <laughs> I've had to shift onto the caffeine-free diet coke. So have, have you? Yeah, yeah. At night time, if you have that, or oh, personally, if I have a diet coke, I'm I'm wired till about you know twelve thirty one o'clock in the morning. So yeah, little things like that. But coffee, coffee in the day always. I didn't even know cut. there was caffeine-free diet coke. Yeah, the little gold can. Pepsi do it too, yeah. They are a little game changer when you want to have that little nighttime refreshment. Mate, I've got, to edu- I've got to educate myself. Do you, do you <laughs> listen to any podcasts or, or um, watch any documentaries and stuff like that? Here and there. I'm, I'm honestly not, not, too, not too into every, anything, but I'm into everything if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so not really, yeah, not really a podcast you know, man, as to say, but... Definitely documentaries and stuff online. It's a bit weird. I I started leaning towards David Ferrier and he does dark tourism. Okay, I haven't so seen that on one. Netflix. Very yeah. very weird, but he just goes to all these places all over the world and explores where people go to see you know, places where you know pretty scary or crazy shits happen. Um, so that's pretty interesting. And I'm a big Louis Theroux man. So yes, yes, yes. He's awesome. Love Louis Theroux. Read a few of his books and stuff, but just amazing some of the people and what he can get away with as a reporter as well without you know, you know sounding um, too harsh. what's that, what's that one he did on the what's the crazy <coughs> crazy church in the u.s the, the, oh, the scientologist yeah. scientologist yeah that, if you haven't watched that one i'd highly recommend it unbelievable yeah so some of the things it's funny a lot of the stuff tends to go over to uh the usa with a lot of his reports for some reason stuff, yeah <laughs> um are you a gamer I am. I am. Uh, so, so that's how you time. spend your free time. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, but the thing is now with the missus here, 
she's very on me. If she's like, she'll walk past and see me playing and then she'll find a job for me to do. So <laughs> when I can, it's when she's at work and I'll, I'll squeeze an hour or two in. But um, now we've got a big, a big legion of gamers um, in the team and guys that have moved on, but guys like Geordie Alessi, Dickie Hardwick, Gibbo. I know well. Gibbo's a big gamer. Oh, he's huge. I think he's like platinum level at EBK. <laughs> <laughs> he how is that, that, that maniac? How is that maniac going? He's awesome, mate. He's fantastic. He, he's all loved up. He's got a new dog and all the rest of it. Uh, he's, got a he's, do- he's got a dog as well. Yeah, he's got a little uh, French bulldog. So <laughs> you wouldn't believe it that um, nah, he, he's doing really well. He'll be um, he'll be back uh, running around with the team and stuff in the next week or two. So oh, back for round one, which is good as well. So, so he was kicking yeah, ass last year as well. Um, Killing it. And then... Your voodoo doll must have really paid off. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it was tough. I don't know how he does it. He, he, he'll pop his shoulder out in training and then go back and run around and keep going. He, Mate, got, he's probably one of the toughest men I've ever met. i got to tell you this story. A couple of years ago, might have been three years ago, he's doing 260 kilo deadlifts in the gym. Like, <laughs> like light, light for him, just crazy. Yeah. He goes, oh, my shoulder's a little sore. Oh, I might go get it checked out. He had had a completely torn pack for about three months. <laughs> he's unbelievable. And he keeps going. He just doesn't stop. Mate, those Gibbon, have you met Alex before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Gibbon boys are just bred different. <laughs> yeah, they are unbelievable. We, um, when we were over in the force, uh, uh, older Gibbo came over with the Stockman rugby. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. He <laughs> tore up. He was, and then tore up after at the social party. Yeah, so. we can't talk. Unbelievable. Look, as good a rugby player as Alex is, he's about five times as good off field. hundred <laughs> <laughs> um, percent. I've got to ask, I've been asking everyone that's come on this so far, what advice would you give 18-year-old Cameron Orr? If any. Uh, definitely take it more seriously. That's good advice. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you never know where you're going to be in six months, a year or two from now. But knowing then just, you know, this this was the path I was going to take and I always sort of knew it, but take it more seriously when I was young. Because I think there was too many too many fun nights, too much, you know, um, not not spending time looking after myself, but sort of realising it now later than later than never. I, I, yeah, I'd probably say the same thing to myself. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you don't. I, I don't. I love every part, every bit of my growing up and everything like that. But it's also you look back now, and there's there there were so many more opportunities that you could have seen, or I could have seen, um, if I you know been there for it. Um, <clears throat> what's uh, what are your memories of the 2015 Barbarians tour? Some of the, yeah, <laughs> one of the greatest times. It was it was sort of weird that week. I put on about four or five kilos. <laughs> I um got going into my first preseason with the Tars after that as well. So it was that balance of taking it seriously, but then also saying you're on Barbas tour, go and enjoy. So no, one of my fondest memories ever. What a, what a team that was. Mate, um, oh, that was <laughs> the the night before we won't talk about it on here because we ruined some people's lives. But the night before the last game, <laughs> one of the great <laughs> driving around. I wish I had a video camera on me that night. <laughs> oh, one of the great. It was Paulie Asquith, um, yourself. You were dro- you were driving, and Devet Roos. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. 
horrible. Maybe, maybe, one, maybe once you're retired, we can tell that story probably. Actually, we probably can't, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, probably never. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, mate, that's a good way to end. I appreciate you doing this. No worries. Yeah, I've enjoyed it, mate. Thank you. Mate, um, when's the first game? A couple of weeks? Two weeks now. I think we've got a trial next weekend against Brumby Runners and then okay. the weekend after. So you'll so, be you'll be back about round two, round three, maybe. Uh, hope, hopefully, yeah. I'm hoping for the first block, but it might look like the um the second block of or the second round of games. Okay. But, um, yeah, cool. just try, just trying to look after it best as we can. It's it's a bit hard to kind of give a time frame at the moment, unfortunately. But um, which is hard to hear, especially just close to the season. But um, yeah, we'll we'll be right. We'll get there eventually. And um, what yeah. other loose what other loose heads are there? You Gibbo, uh, Taboo Seeloff. Can oh, play yeah. loose head as well, so he, he'll jump between both. Um, and then we've got a couple of young guys one from Queensland, Amossi, yep. and another one from Melbourne, Isaac, who's you know quite quite good, uh, yep. good players, but still developing as, as scrummages and things. Is that like Amossi Amossi so, Takiri? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, okay. cousin think, of Lottie. I did, oh, of Lottie. He, I did his highlight really, he's, he's quite a good player. Um, hey, he's class, he's, he's, been, he's been injured too, which is a bit unfortunate. Ferretti, no more? No mask? Ferretti, no. Ferretti retired halfway through last year. Just focused a bit more on his family. I think he's got five kids uh, or whatever it is. Yeah, okay. so he's got a... And he's, you know, with his religion and stuff, he's been... I think he's doing a fair bit of um, preaching and teaching um, with that. And actually, I think I saw on his Facebook before that he's, he's doing seminars and stuff for people and okay, uh, cool. life after rugby and, and you know, it's... Quite good. He's one of the great men to have around Freddie. He's a good fellow, mate. I was surprised when he retired because, you know, how many 135-kilo guys do you get that can run like that? Unbelievable. Um, and he came know. through the Melbourne system as well. Like, you forget, like, it's definitely not a rugby state at the moment. Um, so seeing guys like that come through and from, from such an early age, they, they, they play a big part um, for guys around them and guys in rugby in Melbourne too. Cool. I'd, I'd have to agree with you. There's a there's a couple of other guys. Geordie, Ulysses. Yep. Ulysses. Um, who else is from down there? There's Trevor, Hosea. Yeah, great. Good rugby uh, player. And Pone. Big Pone as well. He's from down here. Is he still there? Yeah, he's still here. He's looking ginormous. And like fit ginormous as well. So I, I, I back him to have a real big year. Mate, he, he was um, so I did a couple of weeks in 2018 there during the preseason for like one of the trial games. And he had just started training there then and was apparently he'd never played rugby before and was a leaguey. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, Laurie Weeks is like, Chubby, what's this guy? And he's just running over like little petty tomato type. a touch drill as well. Yeah, something like that. It was just going, wow. He's like, he's like the guy that um, buys their girlfriend heaps of presents that just makes the rest of us look bad. He's yeah. like, <laughs> it's just a new age tight bed prop. All right, bro. Mate, he's you. unbelievable. Uh, I think you'll play for Australia in the next couple of years. And I think you will too. I've got money on it. It'd be nice. It's definitely, definitely on the, uh, the to-do list. Good shit, mate. Good to talk to you, my brother. Good to see you. Tell Gibbo I said hello. Will do. Yeah. No, it's good to see you too, my man. And you've been looking after yourself. You're looking I, well. I've, been, I've, I've not been looking after myself. I've been working so fucking much. But you know, I'm at that point. But that I'm just is jump- looking after yourself. That is the good it, stuff. 
It is. It is. I'm not getting paid for much of it yet, but it'll come. It'll come. The endorsements. They're on their way. <laughs> Uh, mate, after this one, so how's this lineup? I've got Pat Lamb this week, Kieran Reid next week, Cameron Orr, BPA, Sakopi Kepu. Uh, who else have I got? Nick Maloof's coming on. That's huge. Mate, mate it's honestly, they, they, apart from myself, they're big names. Well, mate, the biggest Very name. Big names. There's some big names. There's some big names. But Kieran Reid, Cameron Orr. How's that? That's good. I'm the curtain raiser. Yeah. Mate, I couldn't. <laughs> wait, I was talking to Jed. He's like, because Holloway's playing with him. He's like, I reckon Kieran Reid might talk to you. I'm like, okay, sure. Sent him a text, said yes straight away. I'm like, like Happy my six, days. my six podcast ever. I'm talking to 120 tests all back. That's unbelievable. It's That's very, huge. It's very strange, mate. It's very strange. They'll, they'll be lining up to be on the show in no time, mate. Well, once I release yours, I reckon they will. <laughs> Oh, uh, be nice. <laughs> um, are you got much on the rest of the day, or just playing games nah, and shit? No, nah, not much. Just some uni work to do still, so I've got to get it done. Um, but yeah, just get ready. And I've actually taken on a bit of a role with the Rebels of like leading the social stuff. So a bit of planning oh, to do for the year ahead. But some good things. I'll have to get some advice off you. I, I reckon you'll be very, very good at that somehow. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> up my sleeve. <laughs> All right, mate. Thanks for doing this. I'll um, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Cheers, Chubby. Cheers, brother. Bye, bye.